welcome to the Young Money Podcast, where Eddie Young Rice interviews young entrepreneurs, hustlers, and innovators to get a first-hand view into the exciting future and the people who will lead us there. Great to have you on the podcast. How's uh, everything been with you? Uh, everything's great. I moved to New York in January and quit my job to pursue an opportunity full-time. So I've just been really busy, loving the city. Uh, working really hard and and trying to get some new stuff out there. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I know we've been talking a lot about New York for like, like for a while, but um, I know you wanted to move out here. How's, how's the move been? Like um, I actually just moved out here uh, over the weekend. Um, Definitely excited for like the, you know, the startup scene here and excited for kind of a new, new chapter, but yeah, well, I know you went to Penn, but uh, what, what, what kind of went to your decision to move to New York after being in, you know, the Bay area? Yeah, great question. So I actually grew up in the Bay Area. So it, I felt like a lot of my professional network had evolved there just from meeting people um, and, you know, just having a home base uh, in the Bay Area. I grew up in Palo Alto and maybe it's the same for you uh, attending Stanford. But obviously pre-COVID, it really felt like a lot of people who were working on really interesting projects and starting companies were based in the Bay Area. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I'm sure everyone kind of understands why, but the capital is there. You know, you're, you're meeting with, with VCs there. There's a lot of engineering talent, et cetera. And, and I felt like when, when COVID hit, it really flipped that upside down, right? So you had people leaving due to high costs. You had a lot of companies yeah. going remote. And a lot of the same appeal of the Bay Area that really kept me, you know, tethered to living there kind of evaporated overnight. And, and it was a really exciting time because although I, I love the Bay Area, I love San Francisco, it felt like I had a greater opportunity to try out living somewhere new. Yeah. Uh, and New York really stood out to me as a place that still had a vibrant tech scene. Um, but that was like a totally, a totally different city, a totally different scene, kind of more my speed as far as the the social life, um, et cetera. And I actually had a lot of friends from from Penn who who went into the city. So I really felt like you didn't have to be in the Bay Area anymore. And there wasn't the same pressure. And that really opened me up to moving here in January. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's it's definitely a lot more fun too. Uh, you know, Bay yeah. I'm hoping too that like, I mean, the texting here is great. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, always is good, but I think post COVID, especially like, I know a lot of people moving here um, and you can work remotely. I mean, you can hire engineers, you know, overseas, you could do that before. And like, I think you could get access to capital anywhere now, you know, right. so I think things have really, really changed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sweet. Yeah. And I guess we can kind of like give a quick background, but like, what are you like comfortable? You know, I know you're working on uh, you know, your startup, but like, I love to hear a quick background and, you know, bio of yourself based on what, what you're comfortable kind of sharing. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, for context, I've been a serial event host for a really long time, whether that was just, you know, growing up, just like throwing my birthday party every year um, yeah. to kind of in college, taking on a more like senior role in the social committee of my sorority and just just being involved in a lot of different um, in-person social events. And so this really translated, you know, after I graduated from college, moved back to San Francisco, and I was really interested in meeting a lot of new people, right? Because, you know, your your whole network kind of starts over again once you graduate. So my friend Christine and I decided that we would start throwing some parties in her apartment. 
And at the time, uh, Facebook events was really the dominant way that people were were coordinating parties. So yeah. we would go on Facebook and, um, you know, invite everybody that we could that we were friends with and throw, you know, parties with, let's say, an 100 person guest list just of young people in SF that we thought were fun. And what we found was that the product no longer worked like it used to. Um, and what I mean by this is that the majority of the people that we actually invited to the parties never ended up seeing the invitation. Um, and then a lot of the new people that we had met that we wanted to invite, we actually couldn't because we weren't friends with them. And yeah. we sent them a request they never accepted. So we had these two issues. One was like, people just weren't seeing these invites. Um, yeah. And the second thing was, is that our network on any platform wasn't actually evolving to reflect the network that we had in real life. Um, and so I kind of took this problem at face value for a while. I was like, that sucks. I guess I'll just text everyone and maybe like send a blurb on Instagram or, or whatever it may be, maybe snap some people, um, you know, rely on friends to do a lot of the inviting for me. Um, but simultaneously, I was working at Quora, uh, which is the question and answer website. And I was also moving a lot closer to product, to the product side, um, was not technical at the time, but um, started to actually see kind of how the sausage was made of like a, for a consumer internet company. Yeah. And slowly I had this shift that was, wow, this problem sucks. I wish that somebody would fix it to, wow, this problem sucks. Maybe I can actually fix it myself. So that was kind of a pivotal moment that that happened, um, you know, being in the Valley and seeing my friends make tons of cool stuff. Yeah. And then also just working at a tech company where, um, you know, I kind of had an idea of of what was possible and that it might be in my wheelhouse to, uh, you know, cook up a solution. So uh, what I came up with is called uh, what I call seven. Uh, and seven is basically a social event network that sets out to primarily solve the two problems I just said, mm -hmm. people not seeing the invitations and two, your network not evolving to reflect the people that you're meeting in real life. So it's basically a product that enables people to um, you know, create custom event pages for their event, either on an app or on the web, and then disseminate those invites via text um, or via link sharing. So you could, you know, drop the link anywhere. You could basically send a message or, or post anything. Um, and then after that event, um, all of the people that attended are actually added to each other's networks on seven. So there's no like awkwardness as far as like, oh, like I'm going to request to follow that person, or I'm going to be like invasive in their life by friending yeah. them on Facebook or anything like that. It's actually this network that seamlessly grows, you know, based on the people that that you're interacting with in real life. So that when you go to have your own event, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can push an invite to those people going forward. So I am actually hosting my first event on Saturday. So it's been a long journey, but oh, um, very excited to see it, uh, see it live and out in the wild. That's amazing. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, first, yeah, props again on, on everything. Um, I remember like chatting like a couple of years ago about you had this idea and you're at Cora still and we were chatting. Um, I think at the time I was like doing the Make SF Fun Again events, right. which is fun. And like, but I 100% saw the pain point of like inviting people. No one, I think it's just like people don't really check Facebook anymore. And like it also that was just like a secondary, like a tertiary feature of like Facebook. So it wasn't mm -hmm. really like focused, but no, that's awesome. Um, Thank you. Yeah, what was that, that journey? Like, I feel like it's like definitely a lot happened and we caught up like a couple months ago, but like, what was that journey like from 
Cora, like realizing you get be, you know, you new product to actually going out and building seven and like that whole process. And also with COVID, like, what was that like? Sure. Yeah. So I think that I share a common journey with a lot of people who start out as being non-technical. What happens when you're, when you don't build things yourself and what I've seen with a lot of my friends who want to bring yeah. an idea to life is they're like, I have this idea and I'm just going to have somebody else go and build it. Yeah. And I also followed that trajectory. So I said, okay, I have this idea. People build apps all the time um, or like, you know, web products, et cetera. So yeah. what I should do is just create a feature list and, and be really specific and, and I can contract this out. Um, so I actually ended up doing that, uh, prior, it was kind of happening as COVID was, was ramping up a little bit. So maybe yeah. I initiated the process in January, um, and then was January of 2020, um, and was kind of working with a, uh, a remote team to bring the product to life. And what I ended up with was a product that wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and this took a, this took a few months, um, it wasn't an extremely expensive process, but you know, it wasn't a trivial amount of money to get it built. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't the fault of, of the engineers or, um, you know, like they, they were perfectly fine and talented. Uh, it was really that I didn't understand how products were built. Like I, I had observed it at Cora and I had admired, you know, the talented engineers and kind of knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, deeply understand what they were doing. I didn't understand, um, you know, what tech stack to use. I didn't understand what the trade-offs were. I didn't understand how products could, um, you know, features could actually complement one another um, and accelerate your your process. I was kind of just like, I want chat and I want yeah, this yeah. and I want that. And, you know, when you're not building things yourself, the the laundry list could just get get crazy. So I had this complicated product that, that didn't work very well. Um, and that I actually didn't fully understand myself. Um, and as the only full-time person working on this, uh, if you don't acutely understand everything that's going on in your product as let's say a team of one, yeah. um, you're going to have some issues. So what does that look like? Uh, things breaking all the time, um, you know, basic features not working, tons of backend issues. Um, and I remember trying to have a party with a couple of my friends, um, you know, who had all gotten tested. And it was like a small thing, maybe like six people just to test this app that I had built. And it just, it just failed so miserably, Teddy. The the product didn't work. And this was June of 2020. Yeah. And I was close to throwing in the towel after that happened because I was just like, this is, this is not going to fly. I don't know how to build product. It's COVID. Nobody's having events anyways. And and I should just give up. Um, And, uh, you know, I did take about about a month off to really think about it. And I remember calling a friend of mine, uh, Jeremy Berman, who is a really talented developer um, working on a company called BeatGig right now. And he had always encouraged me to, you know, try out a couple uh, coding classes. And he's like, you can totally do this. I don't know why you wouldn't just build this yourself. Yeah. And I had a call with him. Um, maybe this is actually late August, actually. And he was just like, enough already. Just take these classes and build this product yourself. You can totally do it. 
So I sat down and I started taking coding classes. Um, I started learning from a guy called Meng Tu, um, who runs a company called designcode.io. And um, I wrote my first line of code maybe in, in late August of 2020. And COVID was was the reason that that I could actually do this. And the reason is like, I had time to build the product because I didn't feel the pressure of all these events going on around me, right? It was only like yeah. these virtual things and, and people weren't partying. So really COVID gave me the opportunity to develop a skill that I really, really needed um, yeah. and was, you know, obviously a terrible <laughs> global disaster. But for me personally, yeah. just gave me a little bit of time to, to you know, become a developer. And, um, you know, that kind of brought me to where I am today. That's, that's huge. Yeah. No, I mean, congrats again on that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm non-technical, you know, did engineer, you know, management science, it's not really that technical, mm -hmm. but I've worked with different teams and always like product managed things, but never got to that point of like going to build, but I've gotten very close to thinking of just doing it. Um, mm -hmm. But no, I mean, I think just like, it just makes you way more versatile. You can build what you have in your head right away. Um, and also with, with consumer products, like I was just throwing my experience here, like even if you get it to work correctly and like maintaining code is like a whole nother thing, but if you get it even to work, like you want it to work most of the time, the, the, the product's going to change based on feedback. You were saying how like features kind of like, you know, work with each other. And like, um, it's in my opinion, I feel like consumer products, it's all about experimentation because no one knows how consumers react. Like no one knows, like, totally. yes, like always, you know, like, oh, these VCs are like, you know, or these people are like oracles about consumer trends, like maybe, but like, who knows? Like there's so many trends that are just so hard to predict. And I think you just have to be able to like build fast and build MVPs and iterate. Mm -hmm. And so if you can build yourself, that just like shortens that and makes it a lot less, you know, a lot less complicated than like relying on other people, you know? So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. One thing that you say that, that stands out to me is the word iterate, like, to give people a sense of what my pace of iteration was when I was, um, you know, contracting this project out, it was, okay, I have an idea about what I want to have built. That's just feature by feature, by the way. Yeah. And let me make a Google doc that like outlines every detail really specifically. Let me then pass that to a designer to, to whip that up, who can then feed it off to the dev team, um, yeah. who can actually build that into production. So it could take weeks and I'm embarrassed to say sometimes months to bring an idea uh, to life that now, you know, I don't work with a designer. I just have some general design principles that I like to use and yeah. I'll just, you know, make something in a day or make a change, um, you know, maybe a larger change or feature in a few weeks. But um, it's so much faster that I feel like it would almost be impossible to operate in the way that I was uh, previously. So definitely my, the pace of iteration accelerates so much faster if you can actually build things yourself or if you have a technical co-founder who, um, you know, is able to do that. Yeah. No, that, that, that's awesome. I, I think it's cool that, um, you went through that, you went through that experience though, of kind of hitting a wall. And like, that's a whole nother thing of why you didn't give up and why you c continued with not only the idea, but also the, just like building something in general. And you went even further and like taught yourself. So like, so you said, was that mostly, I mean, 
was that just a lot of the passion of like, I mean, you're an entrepreneur, you've been, you know, you're entrepreneurial sounds like your whole life. Was that just being an entrepreneur or like what, or was it in fact the idea of seven that like kind of, kind of pushed you through like what, what was like a driving force like last summer, I guess, when you were like, sure, I'm going to move forward on this. Well, I think it has to do with, you know, you touch on having sort of an entrepreneurial spirit, which I think I always have, but it also, uh, I think stems from the fact that I am the customer for the product. Uh, and I say that because I really want this product. Um, it's not like I'm building it. I, you know, I think it is a good idea and it could actually, you know, make some good money down the line, but I actually really, really want this for myself. I've been a serial event host for a long time. Um, and the idea of having this in my hands and having a product that enables me to, you know, execute on what I love to do and to make it easier and better and to just give me and, um, you know, my peer group more opportunities to come together and have a good time and meet one another, like actually just kept me going. Um, and I feel like a lot of people are working on somewhat similar products now, this I think a lot of people have seen that this is a gap um, in the market for event planning. And I kept trying other products and trying things that came out. And in my head, I was like, this is, this is wrong. Like, you know, they're, they're beautifully built products and it's no shade to anyone, but I was like, I want what I want. And and I want to make this because um, I need it. And, you know, it really plays into what my passions are. So I think having that personal connection to the product and to the, to the product mission is what kept me going. I think if I had just been trying to hack something together to, to make a quick buck or even working on something that was this B2B and didn't really have a use case for myself personally, um, I don't know that I would have kept going. Uh, but because this product is so near and dear to my heart, I, it would feel really, really hard to, to give it up and potentially impossible. So I think that's what, what kept me going at the end of the day. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I, you kind of hear like the whole passion thing with like startups and like, I used to call like BS on that, but I a hundred percent agree. I think it's it, the way I would like phrase it. Um, it can be passion or like, you know, passion in some form, it's more of like just interest. Cause like startups take time and you're going to hit all these roadblocks. And like, if you don't have enough interest in something and like wanting to see it through, you're not going to, you're going to give up. So I think right. like having interest or, you know, enjoying passion for this is like for something is super important. Also startups take time. And like, you could be like, not that interested and look at it as like a business opportunity, but if you're spending two or three years on it, um, it'll be hard to just kind of keep going. If you don't have like something more than just like money kind of driving you. Right. And, and they're risky too, right? Like yeah, you yeah. are, you are giving up a lot. Yeah. So I don't know that I could give up a lot for something that doesn't keep me up at night and excite me. Yeah. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky to be working on something that I'm having a lot of fun with. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. So event planning, you know, parties, uh, meeting people, I feel like it's like, uh, definitely got to bring up like COVID and like, um, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on post-COVID? I don't know if people like to talk about like, oh, the roaring 20s are back, whatever. Mm-hmm. But how do you how do you see like the social dynamics changing um because of COVID, but also like maybe maybe trends that were there before COVID that are accelerated 
Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so from a kind of, from a, uh, a product perspective, yeah. um, and this has been happening for a long time, even pre COVID, but I feel like consumer internet kind of started with a lot of these, um, you know, social graph enabled products. So, you know, early social networking tools that were there, even starting with email, let's say, to connect yeah. people um, who maybe already knew each other or, or wanted to talk to one another and like develop these relationships and build out their their social network from the real world online. Yeah. Um, so that would be like anything from like MySpace and whatever Friendster, um, obviously Facebook, uh, Instagram, etc. Um, and then it kind of felt like that sort of social graph enabled product was that area was a little bit saturated. And I feel like there was this transition to um, at least at Quora, what we called the content graph. So mm -hmm. it wasn't as much about like, you know, friending people and building out your network and um, from the real world online, it was like, who can I access that I would never have, um, you know, a connection with exactly. in the real world and usually drive that connection via content. So what do I mean by that? It's like, uh, you know, posting an Instagram and, and having a public account and like garnering a following or, yeah. um, you know, individual pieces of content on TikTok that are kind of like driving your connection with, with other people. And it's no longer like necessarily about, you know, these in real life interactions. It's about like the content that you're producing and, and whom it can, can reach and how that can build out your network for you. Yeah. Um, so I feel like people in some ways weren't really focusing on the social graph at all, really for a while, like it yeah. just wasn't in vogue and building a content based platform, um, you know, was more interesting. It scales better because people don't have to know each other. You're just like yeah. disseminating content, um, you know, very widely and it, it's kind of driving the growth. So it's interesting because COVID is a perfect time for the content graph to explode even more, right? Because yeah. you're not seeing people in real life at all. And mm -hmm. now the internet is your, like, you know, is your, it's your bar. It's kind of like your, yeah, yeah. you know, your house party, whatever it may be. Um, and so I think that what's going to happen post COVID now that in real life interaction is happening at a higher rate is we're going to see more products that come out that are based on um, the social graphic again, as opposed to the content graph. Um, and so you kind of see products like Dispo or even like paparazzi, for example, yeah. that are popularizing, like doing stuff online with your friends again, as yeah. opposed to the content graph, which popularizes doing stuff online with strangers. Um, and so I think that seven kind of falls into, um, you know, that trend of wanting to focus on products that are facilitating more um, in real life interaction or, or more, I guess, um, social graph interactions. So that's kind of like a COVID as far as like how I think it affected consumer internet. Um, and then from an actual events perspective, I don't expect a ton to change about the way that people um, interact and party. I think that there is a hunger for um, partying this summer, quite frankly, just because people have been cooped up for so long. Like people yeah. are ready to go out and have a good time. And so I'm really excited to ride that wave um, with my product. Um, and I think there will be some hesitancy as far as making sure that people are vaccinated or people being able to assess the, the risk of attending certain events. Um, but beyond that, I think, you know, as, as COVID fades, 
I really see it as a reversion to the way that people socialized in real life um, from before. Yeah. Uh, you know, the only difference being that this summer might be pretty wild. Yeah, no, it's definitely. Yeah, I was I was in Florida like the last like five months. I didn't go to Miami, but like Florida mm-hmm. was like always open. But now it's like right. New York's actually like I'm surprised how open it is here compared to like SF. But yeah, it's definitely gonna be wild this summer. Um, no, I, that's super interesting way to look at like the content graph or social graph. Definitely agree. Even like you know, uh, you know, Clay and I worked on dating before, and funny enough, like Tinder and most dating apps are actually kind of content, um, and and also content. Huh lot easier to do so like if you think about it like they're just kind of games and creating content you can like the numbers make more sense like a social graph it's like one-to-one like mm-hmm. you know you're friends with them or not but like each individual like node can create tons of pieces of content and then you have like the um you know bell curve where most people are just creating or consuming most people are creating but right with like dating apps it was all just like you look if you think about them they're really just like instagram but uh, of like attractive people or of people. Sure. Um, and like, that's like the edge, but, but yeah, I, I, I know like, and I know we chatted even before COVID of this like loneliness epidemic of like people wanting to connect more, um, and kind of like bridge the, like online to, to offline world. So it's cool. I'm excited for it, uh, to see how, you know, where things go and definitely excited with seven. You know, I think, I think people are lonely and they need ways to connect a lot more. Um, right. Yeah. What are your thoughts on like, yeah, all these like new consumer apps coming out and speaking of consumer, I feel like it's like this Renaissance people were saying like Gen Z and all that, like you mentioned Dispo and paparazzi, like what are your thoughts on like these new consumer apps coming out? I'm really excited uh, because I think it's a little bit overdue just to have more places to do fun things with your friends online. Um, And I think you know, really what a lot of these products are doing are unbundling Facebook products, which I can obviously relate to um, as I am working on an events product. But, um, you know, I'm trying to think of some some commonalities between these. Um, I would say most of them are obviously like image or video driven um, and make it really, really easy to create a piece of content. I feel like when I when I downloaded Paparazzi, for example, yeah. you know, getting to the point where I'm like the, the distance from download to my first pop was almost non-existent. Um, and I think they're just enabling people to, um, you know, that everybody is a a creator on the product, um, and that everybody can, can use it pretty easily. Um, I think that, um, one of the things that happened with Instagram was they got so good at showing you the best content Mm -hmm. that it, felt like your own content wasn't good enough. So an example is like when I first started Instagram, I would post a picture of my frozen yogurt because it looked awesome. And a lot of my friends like the same frozen yogurt. And then it's kind of like, you know, now I'm on vacation or something and I'm at the beach and I'm like, why would I share this photo, you know, of me at the beach when, or like, you know, of the ocean, for example, when like there's a million better images there that I can't really compete with. Yeah. So I'm kind of excited to to take this this uh, air of perfection or the pressure of perfection that kind of dominates uh, Instagram and to see yeah. these other apps that are just like, you know, take a pop with your friend, take a picture and you won't even see it for 24 hours. You can't edit it and, and make it perfect. And just to bring the fun back to the consumer world as opposed to, you know, having this like pressure to be perfect that I think 
maybe disproportionately affects women, but is also um, something that I think is a reason why you don't really see your friends posting on Instagram anymore, except for stories. Um, So yeah, I think I'm excited to see people be able to be themselves again online. Uh, And I think that these new consumer products really lean into that. Yeah, no, for sure. And like that, I feel like if Instagram didn't add on um, stories, it would have been a lot different too. I feel like just Facebook's just like monopoly has been like, kind of like someone, a VC in like the Valley told me like that, that um, the last decade or so, like most VCs didn't really touch consumer um, because like Facebook took up all like the air in the room. And it's like, you know, to, you know, consume everything. But I think that's like starting to kind of, and also a great point. Like, this is like a very like uh, VC framework, but like, like there's like a couple articles about how a bunch of different startups in the last 20 years were just unbundling of Craigslist. Uh, sure. So now it's kind of like unbundling of Facebook, which Facebook is kind of like Craigslist. Facebook kind of copied Craigslist, but they had the social graft on top of it in a way, mm-hmm. more connections. And now it's like that being unbundled too um that's super cool yeah i mean and like i guess with with seven are you like trying to um focus more like millennials or like gen z and like the different markets or are you just kind of seeing where it goes great question so i have a hunch that about who the product will resonate with the most and my prediction is that it's actually men ages 18 to 30 um and the reason for this is that I've, I've talked to hundreds of hosts because I wanted to take away any of the biases that I had as, as a host and just to yeah, make yeah. sure that, you know, the feature set that I had and the way I was thinking about building this product resonated with them because they are my most important customers. Um, so I talked to, you know, a couple hundred hosts. I would say it was a 50-50 split between men and women. Uh, and what I found, uh, I found three things. One was that, men had more parties than women in general. The second thing that I found was um, men had larger parties than women in general. And the third thing that I found was that men were um, far more likely to have parties with a paid component. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, um, you know, zeroed in on that and um, asked them, well, like, what products are you using? And they, you know, they gave a bunch of different things like, oh, I'm using Facebook events. I have a link in my bio and an Instagram. I put up a picture on Snapchat, whatever it may be. Um, and women were, were more likely to call on actually specific products like, oh, I use Punchbowl or I use Paperless Post. Um, and what I found was like, it seems that a lot of the people who are building events products previously um, to kind of unbundle Facebook as I'm doing, yeah. we're building for women. And I think that's really interesting because from my interviews, my takeaway is that um, men are the ones having the most parties, I guess, and they're not really being built for. Interesting. So I actually have focused primarily on, um, you know, only getting product feedback from men in that age group, uh, because my hunch is that they will actually be the power users of seven. Um, and that they're not, they weren't really being built for previously. So that's who I'm thinking will be my primary customer. Yeah. I, I know a lot of uh, male party hosts. Yeah. No, I, that's interesting. Perfect. <laughs> and, Send them my way, man. Yeah. High level takeaway guys throw more parties, but guys are lazy. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the laziness I mean, I think it takes 
you know, when you talk to hosts and I live this every day, people do not realize how much effort goes into creating a good event. Um, And I think that as most people, uh, like you said, most people don't create content, they consume it. Most people don't host parties, they attend them. Yeah, yeah. And they have a fundamental misunderstanding of what goes in to, or what went into making their night awesome, Mm -hmm. that every event host is like, you know, understands acutely. Um, and is really a lot of effort. They spend a lot of time and they spend a lot of money. Um, and so I think that they're maybe not lazy. I think they're just men are underserved from a product perspective. Um, and I'm really excited to, you know, partner with a lot of hosts this summer that I've kind of been, uh, you know, talking about the product with and like onboarding slowly, um, and just, just, you know, get their feedback and, you know, iterate from there. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, and have you, and like, uh, in the process of building, or I guess like, are you, are you going to like beta and, you know, if you don't have to share whatever you're comfortable sure. with, but like more of like the beta, like test flight kind of, you know, with a certain number of people and then get it like iterating on that, or are you doing kind of like mm-hmm. a launch? Like, how are you, how are you approaching the kind of like go to market? Um, and like, how are you like thinking through that? Cause you, you kind of learned this before and like, you know, probably heard from other people, but how are you approaching that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm in a unique position in that I am, uh, although I'm not male, I am the, a power user of, yeah, yeah. of seven. Um, and so what I'm actually doing for the month of June is that I'm going to be the only host on the product. Uh, and I really feel strongly about this because I want to be able to almost like dog food, everything, you know, fix a lot of the bugs that I run into as a host, um, before I put it in other people's hands, but to still like actually get the product out there and growing and to get real feedback, even if it is just from the attendees and and from the host side myself. So yeah, June is all, June's all about me. Um, (laughs) and, um, yeah, I'll be hosting about five events, one of which is, is uh, a joint birthday party with a friend. So like, you're, you're going to be there. It's going to be great. Um, but I'm hosting a couple different things. Um, you know, something with a paid component, uh, a relatively large party. I'm hosting a networking event um, and then two more, more casual things. And I think that that's, that has eliminated a lot of stress on my side because there's a lot of things right now that I'm tweaking and because I know my way around them or I can hard code a couple of things or just do quick fixes, yeah. it's enabling me to get the product out faster as the only host. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of weighing like, do I try to make it perfect for not perfect? Because as we know, no product's ever perfect, but do yeah. I try to, you know, really fix everything and spend more time on dev this month and not host anything? Or do I get it out there with myself as the only host? So I'm always in favor of just getting it out there and yeah. shipping it. So I'm the only host. Um, and then what I've been doing um, for the past few months is actually just building my own you know, personal lists of hosts mm-hmm. um, who have basically demonstrated interest or keep texting me like, hey, I want to try it. Right. Um, and they're the July people. So July is when it'll kind of be out there in the wild. And then I do want to have a large launch party probably middle to end of summer so you know soft launching getting people on the product um making sure things run smoothly um and then really putting some you know pr and and um you know 
I guess, excitement behind it when I throw a big party in New York. So that will probably be end of July, early August. Um, but we'll see exactly how that pans out. Nice. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. It's also it's super helpful being a, a user of your own product. Totally. totally. And yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. There's a huge hole in the market, um, huge gap. And like, I think people are ready for something better. And there's like all these like cool things you can, you know, incorporate to make it a cooler, you know, experience too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm curious calling like what, you know, being back in New York, you know, um, I know you went to Penn, like what's the, you know, obviously whatever, like Stanford, tech, startup, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But like, I'm curious, like how, what's the startup scene or what was it like, or what is it currently like at Penn? And like, how do you think, like, you think more schools are like catching on? Like, like I personally seen this trend of like people in finance wanting to do VC and then people who would maybe normally do consulting wanted to just maybe start companies or go into tech. Um, and obviously you're from the Bay area and you're like super familiar with that. And you worked in the tech right. Like what, what's your, th- what are your thoughts on like startup culture in New York or even, and, or even just like from Penn and like how that's changing? Great question. Um, so I don't want to botch this, but I believe that in uh, the Wharton school at Penn, they're investing a lot more into preparing people for entrepreneur t- entrepreneurship and, and venture capital. So when we were in school, um, it kind of felt like, so I was in the college, um, which was a liberal, liberal arts school. Um, but in the business school, it kind of felt like people were either doing finance or consulting. Yeah. Very few people started companies and very few people did um, VC. So that was kind of, you know, and that was only what, three years ago that I graduated. And yeah. it actually really does feel like it has changed overnight. Um, you know, you see people who are, maybe working like 90 hour weeks, let's say who work in finance or private equity, who realize that they can maybe have a more exciting job and also work fewer hours and and still do quite well in venture capital. Um, And then you also have, um, I think, you know, we saw this in the last recession too, but I think that when, you know, the world goes haywire, whether it was like the housing crisis or with COVID, um, people take a step back and start to evaluate their lives and maybe what they're doing. Um, and maybe they lose their jobs. Um, and I think what happens is you see like a huge spike in just entrepreneurial activity in general. Yeah. And so I'm not surprised that it feels like so many people in my, my network are starting companies now that maybe were previously, you know, working at a, a big three consulting firm or, um, you know, I have a friend who's leaving his, his private equity job to start the first, gluten-free, sugar-free, keto, like bakery in New York. You know what I mean? You could, I could have never imagined him doing this three years ago. Right. So, uh, I think, you know, uh, that one, you know, my undergraduate university is investing a lot more in preparing people for, um, you know, tech investing slash entrepreneurship. Um, and then two, you have COVID really, you know, galvanizing people to reevaluate, what they do day in and day out and not making entrepreneurship a lot more of an attractive, um, you know, path. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's super cool to hear. And, and I definitely agree with like the COVID, like whenever there's some, something crazy, people do reevaluate. I saw, I forgot where it was, some comment somewhere where someone's like, yeah, I, I need to stop reading like Facebook comments. I feel like I'm, 
I need, I, I can't stop. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to work on my like social media detox, but I also realize, especially working consumer or anything, it's, it's actually good to have a pulse on like, um, information and new trends. I've, I've actually mm-hmm. gotten more into Twitter, but anyway, side note, Yeah, yeah. but, um, but someone had some like stupid comments, like harder for, it's gonna be harder for people to go back to like their normal nine to five when like, you know, their friend made a ton of money in crypto or like, you know, like things just right. like people are making more money or like trying new things out. So yeah, I think, I think that shift. Also, I do think that like people are becoming more entrepreneurial just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was actually going to just mention something related to Twitter. Kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of like just try, try podcast, see where it went. And, and one big thing I learned from, from Flutter and other things is like distributions, like everything. And I feel like with- right products um if you have someone who can promote it if you have a way to get traffic and like basically everything's user acquisition like even if you're enterprise you're still hiring a you know a sales team to you know go and do cold emails to like tons of like big companies so um how are you thinking about and you obviously have time still like i think it's i think what you're doing is smart product like test 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 and like just get it out there and like doesn't be perfect, mm-hmm. perfect but how are you thinking through like social media or like marketing um, and like kind of like building the brand around that, around seven. Also, also Absolutely. why the name seven? I feel like you mentioned before, but. Yeah. So I actually had a different name for the product previously, which was Rally. Uh, and I really liked that name, but it, it so happened that there were a lot of other products that were coming out with the same name. There's a great company called Rally RD that has gained a lot of yeah. um, traction Apparently Snapchat was working on an events, uh, you know, offering with the name Rally. It's the name of Eventbrite's blog. This name is everywhere, um, <laughs> which is maybe why uh, it kind of, I kind of chose it in the first place. So I wanted to rebrand and I wanted to rebrand to something that was, you know, easy to spell and say um, and kind of gender neutral. But what I really liked about Seven is it, I, the number feels good. So it's it's a lucky number. It's kind of like a, a gambling number. So it has that like cool edge to it. Um, and then it's it really is a, you know, there's seven days a week, 7 p.m. is kind of when you start to think about, um, you know, what you're doing that night. And I think seven people is about the number of people when you need to put some sort of coordination muscle behind anything. So it's it's less, you know, one specific thing, like, oh, seven is my lucky number. And, you know, I chose it. It's more yeah. about like, I feel like the number is really versatile and has a really positive connotation that is gender neutral and just kind of cool. So um, that's why I chose seven and I'm so far pretty happy with it, but I get that question a lot. Um, And people, I think a lot of times when you're building a new product, people really want to feel like they understand what it is when they hear the name, Uh, but I'm not, too concerned about that i just wanted to i just want the name to feel good and to evoke something positive so i think seven does the job there nice yeah and also i think it's like creative and i mean like there's i think of right away when you said that like dave you know like the like financial like planning app like it's nothing to do with you know honey right and i think it's actually kind of cool when people come up come up with new like paradigms maybe who knows maybe like after seven more people do numbers as Hell yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Um, that's, that's <laughs> great. And, mm-hmm. and I guess like, and, and yeah, it's so early, but like, how are you thinking through like the brand and like the marketing side of it too? Right. So I think that the most important thing for brand building is that hosts love the product. Yeah. So 
when I was working at Quora, we talked a lot about viral growth loops um, and how they helped Quora grow. So yeah. what happens on Quora is um, somebody asks a question, we would route that to the person we thought was best suited to answer that question. Um, they would you know, write an answer on Quora, it would get indexed by Google. And then someone would Google that question and sign up for Quora and eventually become a writer themselves yeah. and a question asker themselves, et cetera. And so I loved this model because even though we did do user acquisition and we were aggressive about um, you know, the way that our, the quality of our pages and um, you know, did some marketing, most of the product grew really well because um, of this virtuous growth loop. And yeah. sometimes we would make people sign up to read the content, not always, but I was like, your life is so much easier yeah. if your product, um, one is like out there kind of on the open web um, mm -hmm. and easily accessible to outsiders. And then two has these like built-in growth loops. 100%. And so what I found with seven was like, the first thing was I realized that Quora was getting, you know, a lot of these signups from the web and, you know, there wasn't a lot of friction about having to, to download the app, et cetera. So with React Native, it was really exciting that I could have a web product. And as opposed to having people, you know, requiring them to download the app, yeah. I was like, oh, I can just have people get a link and they just put their name and phone number in and they just need an internet connection. So the first thing is like, I wanted to eliminate that friction to get yeah. people on the product. And you see TikTok um, did this really, really well where yeah. you did not have to have TikTok to watch TikTok. And eventually you got it because you're like, this is the 50th video somebody sent yeah. me. But originally you just pop it open on the web and it's no problem. So I think having this like open network was, was one of the first things that I decided I wanted. The second thing is that, um, and this is similar to how Evite grew and how Eventbrite grows, you want to pay really close attention to the conversion rate from attendee to host. Yeah. So let's say you throw a party, you invite, you know, a hundred people. Um, you know, some of those people have never used the product before. They're signing up and onboarding themselves because they need to see the event information and it takes two seconds, right? Because it's just on the web. Yeah. And then some of those people, theoretically, if I'm good at my job, should become hosts themselves and invite net new audiences. Yeah. So I'm actually relying you know, my, and this is a hypothesis and, you know, maybe we'll circle back in a few months and see how this goes, but I'm actually relying on hosts to acquire the majority of users for me. Yeah. Um, so my job is really to acquire hosts Yeah. and to not worry so much about the attendees. The hosts will tell me if the attendees are not happy or if they're not happy with the way that, you know, the product works as far as attendee management communication. My job is just to get hosts because yeah. one host is worth, and I guess I'll see exactly, let's say a hundred attendees. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm less focused on like viral marketing and putting a lot of spend there. And I'm like going to be very focused on, you know, NPS from hosts. Like will hosts recommend this product to other hosts? Like what can I do to make them feel supported and, and happy and um, like this product provides them with a lot of utility. Um, and hopefully I won't need a huge marketing budget yeah. if I can execute well on that. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's such a, I feel like such a big uh, 
misunderstanding or I don't know. I mean, it works, it works sometimes, it works sometimes, but I think the idea of like, you need to spend money to acquire, like your, your marketing is paid advertising. I think the best products like grow themselves really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually super cool that you were at Cora and like saw kind of like the, it's kind of unsexy, but it's like, that's actually how like, like a lot of consumer products like grow really well is through like these like growth hacky, like ad contact. I mean, you know, even like at paparazzi, like there's, they did well because a lot of their, or they're doing well right now um, because a lot of their uh, even onboarding the way they design the product is like, has mm-hmm. a lot of these little loops that gets people. And it's also, right. that's a little bit different, but, but, but like it's all about the product. Right. And in your case, um, actually a couple months or like, yeah, year ago spoke to like head of growth. So we worked at Eventbrite for a long time and discussed that whole, their whole like strategy and how um, you can get, you can acquire like, you know, supply, you inquire, or acquire demand, but ideally your supply, your demand becomes supply. So, you know, your, your right. events become hosts and then it becomes like a loop. So like then, then like, and that's how Uber actually took off um, because that's like, and it's like the chicken and egg with every marketplace, but that's cool. Cause you don't have to rely on building both sides and like that gets expensive and you know, that's right. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you are a very good growth hacker. And I remember um, a lot of the things that you did for Flutter when you guys were starting up NSF. Um, and I was really impressed because they were pretty low cost activities, but from what I can tell, very effective for, for user acquisition. I think a lot of people come into user acquisition thinking paid ads. Yeah. And that's really not the right route for I think the majority of, of consumer products. And I remember you being like, we have puppies on Marina green and like, we're having a party here and like download flutter to come. Yeah. Um, or like we're giving out, you know, like we're going to Dolores park and like talking to people about the product. Um, I think that the more that people can, you know, try to minimize their marketing budget and just focus on, you know, finding their user in organic ways, or even in ways that don't scale, yeah. Uh, but just get some people on the product uh, are optimal. And I, I really do see most people who are first starting to think about product really think about marketing budget as needing to be this huge thing yeah. and having to raise money so that they can spend a million dollars on market. Like, how are we going to get the word out? But I think getting the word out in the beginning to me is just like, how do I find a few hundred hosts that love this product yeah. and um, want to keep using it. So yeah. that's, that's how I'm thinking about growth and marketing in the beginning. Nice. No, that's, that's great. Also just makes it running it. I mean, you can bootstrap or, you know, you can run it more efficiently um, and not rely on like, you know, huge, yeah, huge budgets, but totally. Yeah. I think that the paid spending advertising from like what I've heard and learned is that, when you have an L, when you like start making money, I think then you can like rationalize your, mm-hmm. your LTV to CAC, whatever, but especially right. companies, like it's, it's like, yeah, you should not, you should be focusing on product a lot. I think a lot of people forget that even like, in, like growth should be like a piece of your product and just thinking through like those, those loops and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Well, Colleen, uh, it's been great uh, having you on. Uh, I guess like one, one last thing is like, last question i guess would be like is there anything super i guess like what's the craziest thing that's happened so far any like crazy stories with like seven or like the last like year or so oh goodness um 
crazy things that have happened. Um, I'm going to have to get back to you on that and table that for, for when I'm back as a return guest, when the parties actually start happening. Because I think that's when when I'm going to get the, the, the good stuff to share. Um, but yeah, I think just, you know, overall looking back, the biggest inflection point for me, maybe not the craziest thing, yeah. was just getting the confidence to build this myself. And if I think if I could leave anybody who wants to build a, a consumer product in particular and is non-technical, um, I think the one message that I would leave people with is that you can totally build a great product yourself and learn how to build it quickly. Um, you know, I was never somebody that was in the highest lane of math. And I wouldn't say that I'm particularly like tech savvy, let's say. Um, but if you want something bad enough and you want to bring it to life, you're totally capable of, you know, building a great product on your own. And that if anybody wants to reach out about deciding to, you know, build something, if they've never built anything before, I'd be happy to talk to them and support them because I fundamentally believe that it is the right move. Um, and it's funny looking back because everybody who told me not to build a product myself had never built anything. And everybody who told me that I totally could do it was somebody that had built something before. So, you know, going forward and taking advice, I really am going to only take advice from people who have done something that I'm looking to do. Yeah. as opposed to somebody who hasn't, yeah. um, because they're the best people to guide you. And, you know, my biggest mistake in this process was not learning how to build this product sooner. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for everybody and uh, happy to talk to anyone about, about product or, you know, getting your first line of code down. Awesome. Yeah. And, and don't talk to people who just, you just, who have no experience. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> who are very convincing, but don't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah, for sure. Um, awesome. But yeah, congrats you know, with everything. Excited uh, to see it in action this summer. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll chat more. Um, and, you know, we'd love to get updated with, you know, everything on the product side and all that. But all right. Let me know when season two is. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thanks, Colleen. See ya. Bye. Bye.